What's going on you guys? This is your host Rafael Matuszewski and I am doing a compilation styled episode to a couple episodes back in the 100s where I bring up how to create a bulletproof body or how to bulletproof your body. So I go over, you know, some of my training principles back then and it's been kind of interesting to listen back to some of these where, you know, deep in the core of what I believe in is still true today and all the things that I bring up is, you know, just magnified by like 10 or 20 times because when I recorded, you know, episodes, I think it's like 114, 117 and 121 almost three years ago. So it's been kind of interesting to listen back and hear, you know, my thoughts on training. And that's exactly what this episode's about. So I go over how to bulletproof your body, how to train properly, how to train around an injury, how to move and feel better and still see, you know, successful fat loss on top of it. And then also go into some nutrition and what I believe. And funny enough, I wanted to bring up um, the topic of intermittent fasting because it's something I've been doing for now 10 years. And, you know, I wouldn't say it bulletproofs your body, but it's one of those ways to make nutrition a little bit more simpler. But funny enough, as you think it would be simpler, it's actually more of a headache. And I explain in the episode why it might not be the best choice for you. But uh, I wanted to give these episodes a resurfacing uh, because for many of you, you're probably not going to go listen to almost 500 episodes from episode one. And for those who have, God damn, you guys are amazing because I've actually had I think someone on Facebook or Instagram that recently reached out and has been binge listening to all my episodes. So thank you for all those crazy people out there that have started my show and went from episode one to the most recent one. So that is crazy. But without further ado, here are episodes 121, 114, and I believe 117 on training, nutrition, and everything that goes into building a bulletproof or ironclad body. Selfish plug for my new book. Here we go. Now, what I want to talk about is this idea of bulletproofing your body. So, you know, the last year, I've noticed something about myself when I'm chatting with my clients is I'm starting to use my own ideas, my own interpretations of other professionals in the industry and coming out with my own, I would say, system or principles and methods and philosophies on training and I keep coming back to this word bulletproof. You know, when I'm explaining to a client, hey, we're doing this exercise in order to bulletproof X or Y or Z. We're doing this mobility exercise because I want to bulletproof your hips so you don't have pain the next day. And I keep coming back to that word and I really, really like it because it kind of erodes this like image in my head that I'm slowly building this armor around my clients so they can go into everyday life and succeed. So I started asking myself, okay, what is this bulletproof 
method or principle that I keep getting back to. Oh, that was my dog. If you can hear her shaking her collar. Um, and I wanted to, I, I broke it down. And I think this episode would be good for both the fitness enthusiast and um, trainers out there that are newer. And maybe you can emulate what I'm trying to do with my clients and bulletproof them as well. So I think the first step, and I said this on my show so many times, is got to go back to the basics. Like no matter where you are in your career, fitness journey, always go back to the basics and master them. Like if you really think about it, our industry, there's always like, oh, there's this new diet, oh, there's this new exercise, and if you're not doing these things, you're gonna be left behind. And they obviously require some prerequisites. And that's another word I use a lot. It's like, do you have the prerequisites to do this? Prereqs are like so crucial to your success. And I see this mistakes with um, trainers all the time. They get a new client and they just want to like throw at them every cool exercise they've seen on YouTube. And then they're like, oh, look at me. I'm a fucking like elite trainer because I know all these like banded exercises and balance shit. And you're standing on a BOSU ball with your eyes closed while I throw tennis balls at you and flicker the lights on and off and set fireworks at the same time. No, like master the basics. Like I don't even care if you've been lifting for 10 years. How many of you have gone back to your like deadlift? and reconstructed the whole thing to relearn it as perfectly as possible to break through that plateau. So going back to the foundations of everything. So my first step would be, does your client or do you even know how to breathe properly? You know, like the most simple thing I get people do, this is what I do in my assessment, is I'll get them laying down on their back, their legs are bent, and I'll get one hand on their belly and one hand on their chest and I'll tell them, I want you to take five deep breaths and I want to see if they know how to use their diaphragm. And people tend to forget how important the diaphragm is in everything we do. And most people don't like think about it, but you know, your diaphragm is directly related to all of your hip flexors. And they'll think about it like, your hip flexors do a lot of shit on a daily basis. And if something's connected to your hip flexor, that's going to cause a lot of influence on what you do. So if your diaphragm's not working properly, maybe your hip flexors are probably not working as they should. So in this test, I want to see if people know how to breathe. And 9 out of 10 times, people breathe through their chest. And then the second portion is I'll ask them, okay, great. Now what I want you to do is only breathe into that bottom hand where your belly is. And they're like, okay. They go ahead and breathe. And you can see how much of a struggle it is for their brains to send the signal down to their body to breathe through their bellies. It's, it's like painful to see. You're like, holy shit. Like people don't know how to breathe properly. And then my third test from there, like I, I like to layer things. Um... I'll try to coach them, and I would say maybe seven out of ten times, they still can't do it. So there's your first step to bulletproofing your body is learn how to breathe. Because every exercise you do, if you don't have proper breathing mechanics, 
shit is gonna f- fuck up, right? Like, and I that's another word or phrase I always use is like, like do this without sh- fucking up your shit, and that's where I like to start. And say they show proficiency in learning how to breathe properly. And you know what? Side note. The reason why I like to go to the basics is I give the example of a karate class. The moment you sign up for karate, it would be like blasphemy if you're like, you came in and you're like, I want to do black belt shit. And the instructor will look at you like, get the hell out of my room, right? Everyone starts at white belt stuff, no matter where you come from. And when you show proficiency in every single movement, they'll give you that next level. So it's the same idea. That's the same concept. And again, all the stuff that I want to talk about has been around forever. And this is nothing new from me. I'm stealing shit from all different kind of coaches out there, and I will give credit where it's due. But I like to organize things that make sense for me. So after teaching how you know, my clients should breathe, I want to work on their mobility. I want to see how their body moves. And for so many years, I used the FMS, you know, Eric Cressy's assessment correct and blah, 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 and corrective exercise, but I was kind of limited with their mobility with corrective exercise because they would get a little bit better and then it would hit a plateau. And then for all those people out there who listened to my previous episode about the FRC, I was like, fuck, yes, this is what I've been looking for. So my second step or layer to bulletproofing your body is learning how to move the joints as they should. Give those joints the rotations that they're supposed to do as much as possible on a daily basis. And that's where the cars with the controlled articular rotations come into play. I've been slowly implementing this with all my clients is learn how to put every single joint through their motion so then you can get that range of motion back. And that whole saying, if you don't use it, you lose it, holds true in this situation. The more you can move your joints, the better you're going to feel. So after that, when you know I layer the breathing, the cars, and getting movement through those joints, that's where I want to layer on top corrective exercise. You know, like the... You know, T-spine rotation exercises that have been, like, flooded on the internet, like, any kind of active straight leg raise corrective, like, anything from the FMS corrective realm is where I layer on top of the cars. And then from there, I like to jump into, like, stability stuff. And again, great cook stuff, chops and lifts, half kneel stances, and then I also like adding a lot of shoulder stability stuff, and this is where all the kettlebell stuff that I like is like, you know, farmer carries or bottom-up presses or, you know, single-arm farmer carries. Like, anything that's going to add stability, like the arm bar, too, is a great exercise, is what I like to layer on top. And then the next step is, like, let's add some fucking strength. Like, let's get you fucking strong to build some muscle. And it's another surefire way to bulletproof your body. That's another thing I keep telling people is that muscle... The more muscle you have, it's like the armor that's going to protect you from falls, aches and pains, disease, like anything. So that's where I like to layer, you know, like let's get heavy on the deadlift. Let's get heavy on the squat. Let's get heavy on the bench. Like those foundational compound movements is like where I like to get to the next part. And then to layer on top of there, let's get some metabolic conditioning going. 
Like, let's push our fucking heavy sled for distance, rest as much as you need to, and let's push that thing again. Let's do a simple 20-odd 10 off with a jump rope. Let's see where we can push you to the limit for, like, 5 to 10 minutes, and then let's call that a day. So... You know, I think this kind of method and structure or hierarchy or whatever you want to call it is the best way to um, bulletproof your body. And nutrition would be the same thing. And, you know, over the years, I really, really, really like what Precision Nutrition does. You know, work on habits. Work on the foundational habits that everyone should know, like eating protein at a, you know, palm size or let's get all the water in. Let's, you know, sleep at least seven hours a day. And, you know, it's kind of funny because a lot of people who do nutrition coaching with me online and I give them these simple things, they're like, why why are we focusing on sleep? I'm like, because you fucking sleep for three hours a day. That's a huge no-no. And they almost think like it has to be more complicated than something simple like that. And then they find it difficult to actually implement that habit. I'm like, well, no shit. It's ingrained in you that you can only sleep for three hours and function, but function at a very low level. So giving really basic stuff and building on top of it is how I look and like structure everything I do now with my clients and for myself. You know, like break it down to such a simple step where if you gave it as homework to somebody, they're like, oh, I can do this. And that gives you a higher success rate. So I think for all the coaches and just regular Joes out there listening, like break it down. What's the easiest thing you can do? Like if your goal is X, reverse engineer it to the most simple step and start there. You're going to have a higher success rate. You're going to crush it and then get to the next layer of it, you know? And I think from there, everyone will be really successful and have a body that most likely will be aesthetically pleasing if you're getting to a certain, you know, height of your hierarchy of my bulletproof program or whatever the hell you want to call it. And you're going to be able to move and feel better, lift heavy shit, and just become this overall badass in life and in the gym that you probably want to be. especially for all the coaches listening and even the people who just train like this is good information to know from the side of a coach because if you do hire someone you should know these i would call them almost prerequisites if you're going to hire someone to take care of your body but before we get into that i want to do some shout outs to my top three cities listening to my show and you know number one There's always been a city from California, so shout out to everyone from San Francisco for being my top number one city. Listen to the show. I have a new number two. It's Albuquerque, New Mexico. Shout out to those guys. And number three, man, I am going to butcher this name of the city. It's out in Australia. It's called Balgoa. Bagaloa. I really hope I had said that right. If anyone from Australia is listening, please feel free to reach out to me and correct me because I hate 
hate saying cities or people's names incorrectly and then continue saying them wrong and look like an asshole. So please, anyone from Australia, reach out and correct me. So let's get the show started and chat about my current thoughts on training somebody. So over the years, I've been really influenced by people like Gray Cook, um, Charlie Weingroff, um, Tony Gentlecore, Deaton Somerset, uh, Eric Cressy, Stu McGill, those kind of people. And, you know, they gave me a great basis of how to screen someone, know how to program for somebody, and it gave me enough information to help another individual. And as I've been going through my career, I've been always kind of looking for, you know, the kind of, the, not the next thing, but something more than what I see all the time. Because, you know, you, you stay in this industry long enough and it's just people regurgitating the same info with a different spin on it. And um, when I got my FRC certification, you know, Spina said, like, all the stuff that I'm going to talk about already exists you guys know it but he organized it into a system that makes a lot of sense for me so i'm a point at a point right now where you know i said it on my show before i use the fms along with other screening uh techniques that i picked up along the way and it gave me a good basis but now after you using the frc system i could almost throw out every assessment tool that I have and just use the FRC as a screening tool to figure out what the hell people are doing with their bodies. So the reason why I like the FRC, it's so simple. It's so, so simple. Um, I think the way I want to start this is like the first thing we learn about um, about like the hands-on stuff is something called CAR. So they're controlled articular rotations. So you can take your joints through um, articular rotations, and if you see something funky, like for example, your neck should go into forward flexion, lateral flexion, you go into extension, and you do a full nice little circle. So that should that shit should work nice, as Spina would say. It should do that full rotation, no bumps in a row, no nothing. But you get someone to do it who sits in a desk 10 hours every single day, you see some funky shit. And you're like, okay, this is the first signs of what we need to work on. So, you know, I've been experimenting with all my clients and I've been posting it online and starting with the neck, the most common thing I see is people lifting up their shoulders to their neck to meet their head rotating. They'll start rotating their entire torso. They'll start like twitching with their eye because something's not working like it should. And you're like, okay, we got some cervical issues. This is already like the first thing that you put someone through. You could already see at least three or four things that you need to work on. And maybe even, um, you know, refer out to a Cairo to help you. And this is where the FRC and manual therapists work really well is that if they understand what, you know, uh, closing pain means you can actually chat with that other chiro or physio to kind of help your uh, client slash patient move and feel better really quickly. So 
that articular rotation you can do for every single joint. And what's interesting for me is when I was going through it, I realized that my left wrist compared to my right has less extension. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, I, I thought I was pretty good. And when I was going through the course, I'm like, man, my hand is messed up. And essentially, if you can't do full uh, wrist extension, doing things like push-ups is really going to torque on those joints. And over time, you're going to fuck your shit up. And I'm like, fuck, I haven't even checked all my clients' wrist extension. And I'm probably making shit worse for them by doing that. And then, you know, I went out and experimented, and a lot of my clients don't have full wrist extension to do push-ups, and then on top of that, put their body weight into it, and you're like, fuck, I've been doing this for years, and I'm making it worse for them. So, and going back to me with my wrist extension, for some reason, um, like, I do push-ups all the time, and it doesn't hurt. But if I get into a um, wrist um, stretch, for example, to go into extension, I have range. So actively, I don't have full extension, but passively, I do. And for those who don't know those terms, imagine if you are lying on your back and I told you to lift your leg up for a hamstring stretch. Whatever you did on by yourself is active um, flexibility. Now, if I stood over top of you and decided to take your foot and push it a little further, you'd probably get another 20 degrees of range in your hamstring slash hip, and that's you know passive um, flexibility. So for my wrist, the fact that I can't actively extend it to where my other wrist is means that I just don't own it. And that's the whole idea behind the FRC is that you need to own your range of motion and doing things like cars and pails and rails, which I'm going to talk about next, is going to um, fix that issue. Now, you know, learning about cars, just, you know, something really easy just to think about it, um, what it does, and this is what I really like about it, you know, it helps maintain the range of motion you have, and it'll increase the range of motion you have because... You know, it's just like learning a new skill. So if I decided to tell you to start playing hockey and you're going to be put in net, that, you know, quick snatch grab of the goalie's hand of the puck is a required skill. The first time you do it, you're not going to be great at it. But after time and time again, you're going to be quicker and more efficient on grabbing that puck when someone shoots it at you. And same thing with cars. Say with my wrist, the more... Um, Articular rotations I put in every single day that joint's going to move a lot better a lot smoother And then now I can start challenging it with things like pails and rails, which again, we're going to get into later now it's also Like I said a great screen you can see what joints do what and also you can also rehab it So say I sprained my wrist and I'm like, fuck, what am I supposed to do? Most people are like, okay, I'm not going to use it. And until it starts feeling better, that's when I'm going to start using it. But, you know, that moment when that first inflammation goes down, you should be using um, your joints to send muscle signals um, to the joint that's injured to start rehabbing it. And that's the other cool thing is learning about this course, you know, one way of rehabbing your um, joints from injury 
is to be able to communicate with your muscle cells. So muscle cells or just cells in general in your body can communicate with things like hormones, force, stress, and a host of other things if you take in cell bio in university. Now what Spina talked about in his course is that in order for you to communicate with your muscle cells, you need to add stress or force to it. That's the way to communicate. They don't have their own brain to be like, oh, I tore the ACL, it's been repaired, now I need to lay down more connective tissue and collagen in order to keep it stable. That doesn't happen. Most people get their ACL redid, and for six weeks they don't want to put any pressure on it because it's painful, but you know, right away after that first inflammation, like you should start adding movement into that knee joint to ensure that all the new muscle cells being put down and all that connective tissue and scar tissue being laid down is going to be laid down in a specific way to keep that knee stable to prevent you from tearing that shit up again. And this is where the next kind of layer of the FRC comes into play is pails and rails. So what pails and rails are is essentially just isometric contractions and isometrics to basically communicate with the neurological system and nervous system in your body. So the idea of, you know, isometrics and eccentrics and things like that have been around forever in the rehab game. But again, like I said, um, Spina put it into a system that makes a lot of sense. So if I were to um, gain more, you know, active range in my external rotation of my shoulder. So for those people who don't know what that means is think of putting your arm up into your side like you're going to do an overhead shoulder press. So pushing your wrist behind you is external rotation. Now a lot of people with shitty shoulders don't have any external rotation. So what you would do is say that you get through a doorway, you can use a TRX or whatever have you. And with one, you're going to get into a passive stretch where you're going to feel a little stretch to your shoulder and chest, and you're just going to hold it there. And then going into a pales contraction, meaning that now I'm going to push my hand into that TRX or into that door frame for about 10 to 15 seconds. That is now me communicating with my nervous system saying, hey, dude, I want a little bit more range of motion in my shoulder. Can you give it to me? Nervous system goes... You know what? Because you're cool and doing the stretch, and I think you deserve another 10 degrees of range of motion and external rotation, I'm going to give it to you. And now you stop that contraction, you can move a little further forward, uh, for a little further forward, and you're like, oh shit, I got more external rotation. Now you're going to hold that range and get used to that range of motion. This is the steps to owning more mobility in your body. Now you're going to go into the pales contraction, meaning you're going to basically do the reverse. So now with that new range of motion, my hand is against that doorway or TRX handle or whatever you're using, and now I'm going to pull my hand off of that handle, off of that doorway. Most of the times when you're in these stretches, um, you won't even be able to move your hand. But if you're actively thinking of pushing off that's going to send a lot of good signals into that rotator cuff, uh, shoulder capsule, like everything that is supposed to give you external rotation is going to wake up and be like, shit, 
you want that range of motion, we are going to give it to you. Now, that is just like the second layer of stuff. Like there's stuff that you can play around with, like adding, you know, um, blocks around you. You can add, the, there's just so much stuff that you can do with this. And, you know, everybody says like, oh, I need to be more flexible. Oh, I have shitty hips. Oh, I have blah, 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 blah. And this whole system gives it to you. And, you know, you can essentially do like an FRC workout for an entire hour if you wanted to. But, you know, as a coach, you need the best of two worlds. I'm like, okay, clients are coming to me because they move shitty and they want to lose weight. I can't just get them stretching for an hour because they're going to be mad at me. So what I've been doing is literally I've been starting with like step one. I'm doing cars, so those controlled articular rotations with clients in their warm-up. And just doing it in their warm-up, like I'll do neck, shoulders, you know, their scapula, their T-spine, hips, and maybe I'll throw in one or two that's really specific to them, say ankles or wrists. And then from there, I'll do some actual like uh, movement training where you're doing lunges, you know, um, maybe some lateral bounds, things like that to actually get movement. So we start from really simple joint rotations to more advanced movement stuff that's going to get their heart rate up and warmed up and blah, 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 blah. And every client's like, man, like these car things fucking suck. And I can tell that my left hip is worse than my right. So there's a lot to it. And this is just little baby steps. And I think as I teach my clients how to do them properly, I'm going to give them some more advanced stuff. And I've been playing around with little pails and rails for um, some particular clients for rehab. And they're like, why is this shit so hard? And I'm like, because over the years, like your body is an efficient unit of machinery. The moment you sit at your desk every day for 10 hours a day in that 90 degree position, your brain goes, hey, you haven't deep squatted in a while. Because it takes a lot of energy sucking crap in your body in order for you to deep squat, we're just not, we're just going to tell you that you're not allowed to do it anymore. So then when these people who've been working their nine to five job of sitting, they go to the gym to get fit again. And they're like, shit, I used to deep squat and now I can't get past 90 because my hip cramps. This is because your brain and body are efficient machines of keeping you alive. But we were all at one point able to be so flexible and so mobile that if essentially... If you don't use it, you lose it. That's how this whole thing works. And that whole principle, if you've ever seen the 40-year-old virgin, that saying has been in my head this entire time. So everyone had this range of motion of touching their toes, deep squatting, you know, doing the splits and everything. You can get all that back to a certain degree. And I want my clients and patients to move better and this is why the frc kind of opened my eyes that you know you can gain that flexibility and mobility and move better if you work at it in this system and now that i have the system i'm going to implement it with all my clients and it doesn't mean that i'm like all right we're not going to deadlift anymore we're not going to get strong no i'm just adding another component that's a little bit more important in the beginning of their workouts to 
bulletproof their bodies. So imagine if every joint in your body was moving a little bit better, imagine how your workouts would feel in like three to four months from now. Like it's, it's gonna like blow people's minds when they'll remember, oh man, last year when I was goblet squatting, I could barely touch my bum to the bench. Now it's no problem. It almost feels like it's too high for me. Fucking awesome, right? So I think my whole purpose of this podcast is just to kind of give you an update of how I'm training people. I want to see really good movement because I've been, you know, Grey Cook and that whole FMS system is amazing. It's a great starting point. And you get, you know, some results when you start getting people in half kneel positions, chops and lifts, chops and lifts, you know, reach, roll and lift, let's do T-spine rotations, blah, blah, blah. You get people moving again and they move better and their brains are adapting to this new mobility stuff and awesome. But then you hit a roadblock and that's what I've been at for so long. I've hit a roadblock on mobility and I've always was under the impression that, Hey, my client who is 60 years old that is hunched over because for 40 years he's been sitting at a desk, his mobility is not going to improve anymore because that's all I can do. Now go to physio and Cairo to unlock your hips and upper body. Now I believe I'm able to improve their mobility even further. So I think the FRC and their system is where I'm going to lean towards for my training with my for my own and for my clients and patients moving forward. Um, I rambled a lot in this last 20 minutes, so I apologize. But this is the stuff that excites me, and I really want to dive into more. So if anyone has any questions about it, and if you're considering of getting the um, certification yourself, like feel free to reach out to me and. For those who are just fitness enthusiasts, like hop onto my YouTube page or just go on my Facebook page. I've been posting all the cars and pails and rails and stuff, so you can actually start doing it yourself. I might even start doing some video tutorials on it, so you'll be you know set and ready to go. Because you can do cars every morning, five minutes, just move. That's all you got to do. Joints feel better when you add movement. You're meant to move. So hopefully this gave you some insight to how I train what my current thoughts are in the industry and we're going to leave it at that now today's episode um i'm going to talk about intermittent fasting because you know last week i started my six-week nutritional course and i had a person message me through my private facebook group about my take on intermittent fasting and I'm like well funny that you bring that up because I actually have been doing intermittent fasting probably for seven years now and you know I feel pretty confident in the ins and outs of intermittent fasting what the benefits are what the you know I would say the downside of it is and things like that and, you know, I elaborated a little bit, and I kind of want to jump into it head first because, you know, intermittent fasting has been around for a long time. But every so often I see something on Facebook or a new blog post or a new article about how intermittent fasting is this new thing and it's going to fix all your problems because The Rock or some other celebrity is doing it now. People, 
intermittent fasting is not a new thing. It's been around for a long time. So the way I got introduced to um, intermittent fasting is because of Dr. John Berardi from Precision Nutrition. Uh, he posted a article, I want to say 2011, 2010, around there, um, about his you know, experiment with intermittent fasting for the first time. And he wrote out, you know, what his daily schedule was, what he, um, you know, did to eat, what his, like, time break was, and just, he just wrote all of his experience about it. And I'm like, oh, you know, that's kind of interesting. That's kind of cool. I think I want to try this. So I told myself, okay, I'm going to try this intermittent fasting thing for a month, see how it goes, and then, you know, go back to my regular eating. And, you know, after a month, I'm like, this is really easy for me. Like, it works for my schedule. So, the first thing I'm going to say is intermittent fasting works really well for someone who is really structured in their life. And I'll tell you why. The typical intermittent fasting protocol you'll find online is a 16 and 8, which means you're going to fast for 16 hours and have an eating window of eight hours. There are so many different ways to intermittent fast. I've seen, you know, 12 hour fast, eight hour fast, 24 hour fast, 36 hour fast. It really depends on what you can work with and what would work well in your life. But for the most part, a lot of people kind of hit that 16 and eight. And I believe John Berardi actually tried all the different protocols. Um, I'm not entirely sure where intermittent fasting came from in the first place. I want to say it might have come from the warrior diet or some version of it, but 16 and eight is what usually people do. So for example, what I do, my first meal every single day is 12 p.m. My last meal is at 8 p.m. I eat three meals in a day, one at 12, one at four, and one at eight every single day, no matter what. It's a lot of structure, and like I said, if you are a structured person, this works really well. Every single client that's ever asked me what I do for eating and I tell them about intermittent fasting they're like oh but I thought breakfast was the most important meal of the day blah 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 and yes and no I would summarize the fitness and health industry if anyone asks you a question it's always well it depends because everything is an individualistic approach if one thing works for one person doesn't mean it's going to work for the next so here's an example for me the reason why intermittent fasting worked so well when I first started, and it still does today, is I would wake up at 4.30 in the morning, get to work for 5.45, and train clients from 6 a.m. to 11 a.m. What I used to do is when I got to work for 5.45, I would be scarfing down my eggs and like bacon and whatever vegetable I had at that morning because it was quick and easy and I just had to get calories in me. And then by like 8, 8.30, I'm like starving and I'm training like five hours in a row. So I'm like, oh shit, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna have my protein shake. So at the gym I was working at, I wasn't allowed to have a shaker cup with me 
So I pre-blended protein shakes at home the night before with some berries, some, you know, handful of spinach, some peanut butter, like whatever I had to do. I just like try to jam pack calories because I knew I was going to be hungry. So, you know, I'd like get my client on the treadmill just to jog for like three minutes. I would run into the staff room, chug down my protein shake, you know, get brain freeze because it was so freaking cold and I'm like, God, I hate my life. And then I'm going to run back onto the training floor, train the clients until 11. At 11, I'm like starving. I'm like, God, I just want to eat again. And I'm going to eat my lunch at 11. That was my schedule. I was like, fuck, this is ridiculous. And I do this five days a week. So, you know, doing my continuing education, I stumble upon intermittent fasting and I'm like, fuck, this would make a lot of sense for my life. Now I don't have to worry about, you know, waking up, scarfing down food, being like super hungry midway from my training sessions, get a client to do something really quick and then run back and chug a protein shake, run back and do that whole thing. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to, you know, I adjusted it now, but before I used to have my lunch at 11, so I'm like, okay, I'm going to do intermittent fasting because now I only have to worry about eating at 11, don't have to worry about in between. So the first two weeks of intermittent fasting sucked ass. Like, I was so freaking hungry all the freaking time. And this is because your hunger hormones have to adjust to the new pattern. So the first two weeks were like a living hell. Like, I was hungry all the time, and by 11, I almost wanted to pass out. But then it started getting a little easier and easier and easier. And there's other things that you should be doing while intermittent fasting during your fasting period. So... I drank a shit ton of water, and I think Berardi actually recommended to drink about a liter the moment you wake up, because your body's so used to having nutrients in the morning, and like, say you have some veggies and whatever, like, food actually has water in it, so you're going to be super dehydrated in the morning, so he recommended everyone have a liter first thing when you wake up, so I would chug that back. And I was like, okay, I feel kind of full, and that was good, and I would get to work. I'm like, okay, I'm going to have coffee. And again, no calories in my coffee. I drink it black, and whatever article you've seen online about psychopaths only drink black coffee, maybe that's true. I don't know, but I always love black coffee. Man, I feel like I'm talking fast because uh, um, I'm trying to keep this short. So I drink my black coffee out of my four cups from the time of 6 a.m. to 11, and, you know, that would kind of keep my hunger in check. And by 11, I'm like, okay, I can eat. And when I finally made that switch where I wasn't hungry until 11 because I re-regulated all my hunger hormones, I was like, fuck, this shit really works for me. Now, the next thing that most people think are like, oh, my God, intermittent fasting is the missing piece to my fat loss. No, it's not. But it does have some benefits. So because you're fasting, you're building, um, one, it's like insulin sensitivity. There's a bunch of research on it, but what I find the basic principle of intermittent fasting is you're controlling your caloric intake. If you have a structured feeding window, you're gonna eat your first meal and you're gonna get full pretty fast from that first meal if you have you know, three meals and you're eating, say, 2,500 calories. That's a pretty big meal. You're going to be full. You're not going to feel like you need to snack in between your three meals. So then your next meal at 3 or 4 o'clock, using my example, 
you're gonna eat again the same amount of calories are okay now I'm pretty full satisfied and then you get to dinner there's no snacking there's no like oh, I'm gonna eat a bag of chips while watching Netflix like it almost bulletproofs your way of overeating and I think that's why intermittent fasting has kind of become this like oh it's gonna burn so much fat and you're gonna be like shredded and blah 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 you can still not lose weight on intermittent fasting if you're not eating enough protein not enough calories you're overeating you're gonna binge on the weekends whatever it's just another way for someone to eat just like um you know i tell my clients yeah i do intermittent fasting like oh my god i cannot like eat breakfast the entire morning and then wait until lunch i'm like okay that's fine some people just prefer you know waking up having their cup of coffee having their like eggs bacon whatever that's part of their morning ritual right that's okay if that works for you you stick with it and this is why nutrition is so individualized you need to find what works for you so if you are a person who is living a structured life where every day lunch is the same time, every day your snack is the same time, every day dinner is the same time, this would work really well for you. If you're a person where their schedule is all over the place every single day, this probably won't work for you. I have a bunch of online clients for, I say, a couple of years where their schedule is so unpredictable, they just have to bring food with them just in case. Because what happens if you're like, okay, I'm going to have my lunch at 12 o'clock, and then you go to work, and your boss said, hey, 12 o'clock, we have an important meeting for two hours, you need to be there, and you're like, fuck, I need to eat at that time. Now I can. So now you're prolonging that fast. You're going to be super grumpy. Your blood sugar is going to drop, and you're going to be a horrible person for the rest of the day because it just didn't work out. But if you have structure in your life, this could work really well. Now, people always think that they need to do something that's more difficult than what they're doing now. So I think I said this earlier, every client that's learned how I do my own nutrition, they think they need to do intermittent fasting, I tell them no, you shouldn't you should practice the basics because that's the other thing intermittent fasting is like step 13 14 and you haven't even mastered steps one through three why do you think you should be able to do step 14 the clients that i could not convince trying intermittent fasting they all failed miserably like fell on their face and they were like what the fuck did i get myself into they cannot follow it it's just like if i decided to take a university course and then it was a math course and I've never taken anything past like math in grade 10, why would I think it was a good idea to do advanced placement calculus in university? I would fail miserably. But for some reason when it comes to nutrition, clients can't see that. They read about something, they're like, I need to fucking do that. But you as a coach or you as a person listening who's in the fitness enthusiast, you need to kind of have that filter in your head when you read something you're like you know what that sounds pretty advanced maybe i shouldn't do it you need to trust what you're doing right now and it might be slow but it's getting you in the right progress that you need to see long-term success now i'm going to end it there because i rambled on for a long time if you have any more questions about airman fasting i would love to talk to you about it because i'm super passionate about it and you know maybe you're just like wanting to learn more about it or you're doing it currently but you're not really kind of getting it 
feel free to reach out and I will help you. And I'm going to end the show just like that. Um, yeah, let's just leave it at there. Uh, again, please, 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 please share this podcast. So hopefully you guys enjoyed that compilation of three episodes from the 100s. And I know there was kind of those choppy bits where I had to end an episode and you're like, oh, what the hell happened? But, you know, sometimes I don't end each episode where there's a delay in the next word. I just tend to ramble nonstop. So I apologize for the abrupt stop and then going into the next episode because I do a lot of like, you know, the intros and outros and it's kind of hard just to cut it unless you want to listen to the ramble like I am doing right now. But... Hopefully you enjoyed that. Um, more to come when it comes to some compilation ones that I want to bring together and some more solo episodes. And most importantly, I'm going to be releasing the release date for my book very soon. So keep an eye and ear out for that. And if you haven't done so already, hit the show notes. Put your name down on the pre-sale list because if you want to get my book first with a special discount before anyone else... You want to put your name down so then I can email uh, email you personally and you'll have, you know, first access to this brilliant book that I put together and I'm super proud of my work. And also add me on Facebook, follow me on Instagram and share, 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 share this podcast with your friends and family so we can grow this thing to a million listens. Ah. That's going to be the day. And my 500th episode is coming up. And I got something special for you guys on that one. So stay tuned. Until next time, you guys. 